0: Turn in your Bibles with me to Judges chapter 6 this morning, Judges chapter 6, and while you're turning there, I'll give you a little bit of background. In the first part of this chapter, it says, again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. For seven years, he gave them into the hands of the Midianites, and he said the Midianites were so evil oppressive that the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. So they would hide from the Midianites and the Midianites would swarm down. And it says that they were like locusts. They just swarmed down and invade the country and they would ruin the crops. They would eat what they want of the crops. And then they would just trample the rest and leave the israelites with no food and it was a seven-year event i mean year after year imagine if you planted your garden and just as you were about to go harvest from your labors your neighbor came over and just trampled your garden that'd be a pretty bad neighbor wouldn't it well It says that the Midianite, that Midian so impoverished the Israelites, they cried out to the Lord for help and the Lord sent them a prophet. And the message of the prophet was to remind them that this is happening because you have rebelled against the Lord your God. But that's the background to my text and I want to pick up then in verse number 11 of Judges 6. Verse 11, the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak tree in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abiazrite. Now, the angel of the Lord here, and just to be clear, in the Bible, there seems to clearly be a difference between just an angel and the angel of the Lord. And the scripture itself seems to indicate that the angel of the Lord, or the angel of God, as it appears some places and sometimes, is actually an Old Testament appearance of Christ. It is a pre-incarnate appearance of the Lord himself. And it's something in theological terms that we call a Christophany, a Christophany. In fact, we're going to see a little bit further down where Uh, in verses 14 and 17, this same person that's referred to as the angel of the Lord is referred to simply as the Lord. Are we clear on that? So as I give you this message this morning that the Lord's laid on my heart, I'm going to refer to this angel of the Lord as the Lord. But I want you to know who I'm talking about. So the angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak in Ophrah, happened to belong to Gideon's dad where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. But sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, Why has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, And this seems peculiar. He said, go in the strength you have. And I'm sure Gideon felt like he didn't have much strength. Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? But Lord, Gideon asked, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites together. Gideon replied, If now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. Now, Gideon was a man who needed signs. And I'm not going to read all the way over to where he puts the fleece out before the Lord, but you're probably familiar with that. And I just want to say, that putting a fleece before the Lord is not a sign of faith. It is an indication that you are struggling to believe. You're struggling to faith. It, uh, you're struggling in your faith. So he said, Give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. I mean, it's like he couldn't believe God was actually talking to him, telling him this. Verse 18, please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. So Gideon went in, prepared a young goat, and from an ephah of flour, which would be probably a little over half a bushel for those of you farmers from around here, he made bread without yeast. Putting the meat in a basket and its broth in a pot, he brought them out and offered them to him under the oak tree. The angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened bread, place them on this rock and pour out the broth." And Gideon did so with the tip of the staff that was in his hand, the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread and fire flared from the rock consuming the meat and the bread and the angel of the Lord disappeared. When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, when he realized it was actually God talking to him, the Lord. He exclaimed, Ah, Sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, and see if this doesn't sound just like the words of Jesus. Peace. Do not be afraid. You are not going to die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it, The Lord is peace, and to this day it stands in Ophrah of the Abias writes. And I want to talk to you today on the subject of the wine press, the wine press. And would you bow your heads and let me pray over this. Father, I thank you this morning for your word that we have read together, And I thank you that your word upon your promise never returns to you void. And so I pray that you will send it forth for your good purpose in the lives of all who will hear. And I pray that your anointing will just settle in this place and rest upon me as I speak your message. And I pray that all who hears your message will be changed by it into the image of Jesus Christ. Draw us closer to you. And it is in the name of Jesus we ask this. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Most of us are familiar with the story of Gideon. Or or I should say, at least the good part of the story. You know, the good part is that God sends him out and he, he goes out with 32,000 men. And God says, well, that's too many for me to do this for you. And even with 32,000, he was greatly outnumbered by the Midianites. In fact, the Bible says they were so many, and their, their camels and donkeys were so many that you couldn't even count them. And so God said, send all of those who are afraid home. Gideon said, if you're afraid, you can go home. And 22,000 said, that's me and went home. God looked at the 10,000 remaining and said, well, that's still too many for me to do it. Uh, God God does things in such a way he wants to know, he wants everybody to know who did it. And so God helped him whittle that number down to 300 men. God said, now I can work with those 300 And those 300 men defeated the Midianites using nothing but blowing horns and breaking pitchers that had lamps inside of them. And God defeated the Midianites that way. What an incredible story. And most of us know that story. But if the story I read today was all you knew about Gideon, you would find it hard to believe that he would later be listed among the heroes of the faith in Hebrews chapter 11. But he is. And that's a good story. But before he was ever victorious in battle, he was. we find him hiding in a wine press in fear of the Midianites who've been raiding the land for seven years in a row, eating and trampling the crops, right as it was about time for them to harvest those crops. And that's the story I'm talking about today. He is threshing wheat in a wine press. And so if the circumstances of your life have ever left you feeling like you've been abandoned by God, I don't know if you caught it when I read it, but that's exactly what Gideon expressed when the Lord said, the Lord is with you. He said, the Lord is with me. He said, we've been abandoned by the Lord. If you've ever felt like God has abandoned you, and if the circumstances of your life have ever left you asking the question, does God really even care about me, then I've come with a message from the Lord for you. And I want to talk to you about the wine press. I'm going to talk about three things, four really, but I didn't want you to think I was going to go long. I'm going to talk about threshing wheat in a a wine press, and I'm going to show you that it's really a story about frustration and survival. And I'm going to talk about being defined by your circumstances, and then I'm going to talk about when God waits on you. And then I'm going to end with something I'll save for the end. So let's start with threshing wheat in a wine press. And to really appreciate this story to the fullest, I want to tell you a little bit about what threshing floors and wine presses were like back in the days of the Bible. Because to be sure, wine presses were for crushing grapes and not for threshing wheat. And Gideon is a farmer from Manasseh. And so he knows about harvesting wheat and crushing grapes. Wheat was normally threshed on the threshing floor, which was a large flat rock, or it could be a um, a hard flat ground area, but it was always out in the open where the wind would blow. And if it was a large amount of wheat, they would scatter it on the ground and the oxen would tread over it. And sometimes they would even drag a heavy object behind them. And then the thresher would take the wheat and throw it into the air so the wind could carry away the, the chaff or the husk. And if it was a small amount of wheat, the thresher would just grab Bundles of these stalks and swing them and beat them on the rock or the ground called the threshing floor. And then he would gather it and throw it in the air, and the wind would carry away the husks or the chaff, leaving only the grain. So, threshing floors were wide open spaces, they were for threshing wheat. Wine presses, on the other hand, were actually more like a round pit that was hewn or carved out of the rock down into the ground. In fact, in many of them, you could probably stand down inside of them and stretch out your arms and touch both sides of the pit. How many of you have ever seen a hand-dug well? Okay, that's, that's the kind of the picture I want to give you. And so the farmer would gather the grapes and throw them down into this pit and he would climb down into the pit on top of the grapes and he would stomp them and crush them with his feet. So wine presses were for crushing grapes, not for threshing wheat. And down in that pit, it would be almost impossible to thresh wheat. There just wasn't enough room to beat the wheat, to loosen it from the stalk and the husk. And and down inside that pit, there wouldn't be any wind to carry away the husk or chaff. So if not for the circumstances of why this farmer was threshing wheat in a wine press, it would almost be humorous, laughable to watch him trying to thresh wheat in a wine press. So you can imagine the frustration, and I want you to grab a hold of that word for just a minute. How many of you have ever felt frustrated? Frustration comes when you have a goal, and something or someone is hindering you from reaching your goal. And the more intense the frustration, and the longer the duration of the frustration, the more your stress level rises and you can imagine the frustration of trying to trying to swing those stalks of grain and the frustration of trying to separate the wheat from the chaff and the frustration of trying to gather up the grain from the bottom of that wine press. Nobody would want to thresh wheat inside a wine press, but this wasn't by choice. This was by necessity because this was about survival. And I want you to grab a hold of that word for just a minute. Survival. I don't know if you've ever had to just survive. I don't know if you've ever had to go through periods or seasons of your life where you were living hand to mouth. But I have. And for seven years now, The Midianites would wait until harvest time, and then they would raid the land, eat what they wanted, and then trample the rest of the crops so there was just almost nothing for God's people to eat. So imagine planting your fields and working them for six or eight months, making sure they're watered and cared for. You watch that crop grow up, and you're ready to harvest it and feed your family And imagine that right at the time that you are prepared to harvest your field, the enemy comes and just tramples down your crops, leaving you with nothing to harvest and nothing to eat. And not just once or twice or even three times, but for seven years in a row. So this is a story about frustration and survival, just making it, just getting by. And I don't know if you've ever been there. I bet most of you have where you've worked long and hard and and you've put forth your effort, you've tried your best and and just like it seems that every time you think you're about to make it, every time you think that things are going to turn around for you or you think this time's going to be different the enemy comes and takes you back to zero. Nothing. And you know the enemy of your life That old devil has a way of frustrating your efforts. He has a way of frustrating you. Every time you think, you know, I'm going to make progress this time. It's going, my circumstances are going to change this time. And the devil has a way of of just bringing frustration to your efforts. And, And I'll be honest with you, I don't think anything increases your stress level like a continual prolonged Frustration that comes against you. So understand this is about survival. Gideon is threshing wheat in the wine press because he's hungry. And he's hungry not because he refuses to work, not because he is lazy. He's been working. He's a farmer. He planted those fields. He's worked hard and still, when harvest time comes, I mean, there's just, He's barely getting by. It's about survival. And I've been there where you just, you know, you go through seasons, it seems I have, where you just kind of live from paycheck to paycheck. And I've had seasons in my life where, you know, it's like, God, you're either going to provide or I'm just going to have to fast. (laughs) And I don't know if you've noticed, but. I don't look like I'm good at fasting. And so it's about putting one foot in front of the other. That's what I mean by survival. Just taking one step at a time, just getting by, just making it to the next day, just staying alive, not dying. Nobody likes to live by just barely surviving. Because, you know, Jesus came that we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly. And so I'm tired of feeling like I'm just surviving down inside this pit of a wine press. So no wonder Gideon felt the way he did. And that brings me to my second point. And let me let me just talk about being defined by your circumstances. And I want you to know that everybody in this room, everybody hearing my voice has a self-concept, how you perceive yourself, all right? So the Lord came down and he sat under this oak tree that just happened to belong to Gideon's dad. And the wording here seems to suggest that it's not just any oak tree, but it's a particular oak tree. It is the oak tree. It's commonly known to be a particular tree owned by Gideon's dad near the wine press. And the way this is worded, it suggests that the Lord maybe had been sitting there for some time watching Gideon trying to thresh wheat down in the pit without Gideon even noticing that he was there. Because it's in verse 12 that the Lord appeared to Gideon. And the Lord said this to Gideon. He said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And what follows is this conversation between Gideon and the Lord in which there seems to be a lack of agreement concerning Gideon's perceived identity. There seems to be a difference of opinion between Gideon's self-esteem and the esteem the Lord expresses of him. You You ever wonder how God sees you? And what he thinks about you, the Lord refers to Gideon as a mighty warrior. In fact, the the New King James Version translates it as like this: "You mighty man of valor." Valor. Valor is. Valor speaks of great courage in the face of danger, and especially in battle. I mean, you understand they give medals for valor. And I'm hiding in a pit. I'm, I'm down in the wine press. And Gideon, when he hears those words, the Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. I imagine him suddenly looking up from down inside the wine press, that pit covered in the dust of the chaff, frustrated, hungry, tired and sweaty and he's hiding from the midianites. And I imagine he had a bewildered look on his face that anybody would call him a mighty man of valor. I mean that doesn't seem to define valor or it doesn't seem to speak of a mighty warrior and it doesn't seem to be Gideon's opinion of himself. I mean did did I hear you say the Lord is with me? With me? I mean, listen, I'm from the tribe of Manasseh. My family is the weakest in Manasseh. I'm the least in my family, and you say the Lord is with me? So I've got a question for someone who's listening to me today. How do you handle it when the circumstances in your life don't seem to reflect that the Lord is with me. I mean, if if the Lord is really with me, wouldn't things be different than they are right now in my life? If the Lord is really with me, how is it that things turned out like this? I never meant to be here. I never meant for my life to take this road. I would have never dreamed I would be where I am now going through this trial or this circumstance, and Gideon says, but sir, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all the wonders that our fathers told us about? But now the Lord has abandoned us, he said. He's not with us, he's abandoned us and put us where we are. So do you hear where I'm going with this? Have the circumstances in your life ever brought you to a place where what you were going through left you with the feeling that God has abandoned you? Oh, I know you don't say anything about it, at least not to your church friends, because they'd think you were just plain backslidden if they knew you were even feeling like God had abandoned you. But when life has placed you down in the wine press, down in a pit trying to thresh wheat, just so you can have some food to eat. I mean, sometimes your circumstances just don't seem to indicate that the Lord is with me. In fact, Gideon says, it feels to me like the Lord has abandoned me. So have you ever felt like God just left you, just abandoned you? So isn't it amazing how we allow our circumstances to define us. And we all do this. If we aren't careful, we will allow how things are going in our lives to define who and what we are. We allow our circumstances to define our value. We'll get our identity from our circumstances. And when we allow the things, the way things are going to define us, We're prone to feel like Gideon, that God is not with us, and we're prone to ask what Gideon asked, which in essence is, does God really even care about me? Because it sure doesn't seem like it when I'm down in the wine press. But don't forget that it was the Lord sitting under that oak tree And he is the one that David said, created your inmost being and knitted you together in your mother's womb. He saw my unformed body, David said, and the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. And he said, how precious are your thoughts concerning me? He said, if I were to count your thoughts concerning me, they would outnumber the grains of sand on the earth. He said, where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the, he- up into the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, you're there. And even darkness can't hide me from you. And sitting under that oak tree is the one who has numbered the very hairs of your head. And by the way, did you know that God can't get you off his mind? According to David, God can't stop thinking about you. You can't go anywhere that he's not there. He's the omnipresent one and sitting under that oak tree, Gideon is the one who later would leave his throne in heaven and clothe himself in flesh in the earth so that he could tell his disciples that I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. In fact, I will be with you even to the very end of this world. So when you're in the wine press and the circumstances aren't going the way you thought they would, don't let your circumstances define you and don't believe for one moment that God has abandoned you in the pit. He came to sit under your oak tree, Gideon, to encourage you to climb out of the pit and send you into the battle for victory. But then I want to show you something. I want to talk to you about when God waits on you. Now, looking back over my life, I've done a lot of waiting on the Lord. How about you? But when I get through saying what I'm about to say, I want you to look back over your life and I just bet you'll go, you know, he's probably waited on me more than I've waited on him. Now, when my boys were little, And I mean little. They would follow me around. We'd go to the store. I'd run errands and I'd take one of them with me. And when I was in a hurry, I'd make them hold my hand so they would keep up. And I would be walking in stride, not realizing that their little legs were running to keep up with my walk. Until one of them would say, Daddy, wait. Daddy, wait, wait, wait for me. So, what happens next is incredible. Gideon climbs out of this wine press, that pit, and he says to the Lord, If I have found favor in your eyes, give me time to go prepare a sacrifice. Please don't go anywhere until I come back and bring my offering and set before you. And the Lord said, Listen to this, this is the Lord talking. I will wait until you return. Gideon went and prepared a young goat. He took this flour and made bread without yeast, put the meat in a basket, the broth in a pot, and brought all of this and set it before the Lord under the oak tree. And by the way, Gideon's sacrifice was very costly at a time when food was scarce. But do you know, it probably took Gideon as much as at least an hour to go prepare the meat and the bread and the sacrifice, but God waited on Gideon like a father waits for his son. Now, how many of you have ever met somebody really important? Raise your hand if you've ever met somebody... You know, really important. And, and they didn't spend a lot of time with you. Because, you know, a lot of times I have found that people who are very important, or at least who think they are, but especially the ones who really are, they don't like to be kept waiting. And I, I can't think of anybody more important than God. And it's one thing for God to say, I will be with you, but it is altogether another thing for the God of all creation to say, I'll wait for you. (laughs) Why would God wait? Because it is God graciously accommodating Himself to Gideon's unbelief. Did you hear me? God will graciously accommodate Himself to our unbelief, it is the patience of God in dealing with us when we're in the wine press. Now, listen, I know the Bible says that God is just, says that God is holy, God is righteous, God is love, and God is many other things. But did you ever stop and think when you're in the wine press and you feel abandoned and afraid and you're struggling just to believe, did you know that the Bible says God is patient and God will wait on you? In Isaiah chapter 30, God is speaking to his obstinate children. In fact, he calls them obstinate children, those who carry out plans that are not mine. And for the first 17 verses of that chapter Um, he basically talks about what they are like and just how obstinate they are. But in, in verse 18, and to see this beautifully, I encourage you to compare it between two or three different translations because in essence, it tells us the Lord longs to be gracious to you. That's NIV. And the Lord waits for you to come to him so he can show you his love and compassion. He waits for you so that he can be gracious to you. God waits for you. And for all the times over the years, I've felt like, you know, I've had to wait on God to answer my prayers and wait on God to do something for me. How many times have I said, when is God going to do this? And I just feel like I'm having to wait. But I look back over my life and maybe just maybe it was God who was actually waiting for me all along. And when you're in the wine press and you feel abandoned, and when you're afraid and when you're struggling just to believe, isn't it wonderful to know that God will wait for you because he longs to be gracious to you and to show you his compassion. So when you're weary, God will wait on you like a father waiting on his child. I've got one more thing I want to show you, and I'm going to conclude After Gideon brought his sacrifice to the Lord, the Lord told him to place it on this rock and pour the broth out. And the Lord touched the meat and the bread with the staff and the fire flared from the rock and consumed the meat and the bread and the angel of the Lord disappeared. And it's at this point that Gideon realizes, I've seen the Lord face to face. And he he thought he would die. And so Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and God, the Lord spoke to him and said, no, peace, peace. Isn't this just like the words of Jesus? Peace. Don't be afraid. Isn't that exactly what he told his disciples when they were afraid? And he built this altar and he called it, the Lord is peace or in Hebrew, Jehovah Shalom. The Lord is peace. Peace. And so just when you think you think you're going you're not going to make it God will reveal himself to you as Jehovah Shalom. So when you're in the wine press in the pit, he gives you his peace. Now how can he do that? How can the Lord give you peace when you're in the pit? Now, hang with me just a moment. I'm going to show you something beautiful. And if you can relate to Gideon in the wine press, This this is going to make your day. David said this in Psalm 103. He said that the Lord redeems your life from the pit. You hear this? He redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. How does the Lord redeem you from the winepress, from the pit? And give you peace in the wine press. And here's how. What happened in the wine press, that, that crushing of the grapes, is a symbol of wrath in Scripture. And when the farmer would climb down inside the wine press to, to tread the wine press, they called it, to crush the grapes with his feet, the bottom of his robe, his clothes, would, would be stained red with the juice from the grapes. And I want you to get a hold of that picture. This was a messy job. Get a hold of the picture of the farmer climbing up out of that wine press and from about the thighs down, his robe is just stained red. Well, when John was carried into heaven and shown the things that are to come, he said, I saw a white horse whose rider is called faithful and true. His eyes are like blazing fire and on his head are many crowns. But listen to this. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood. And his name is the word of God. And he said, the armies of heaven were following. That's you and me. And he said, that we're going to be riding on white horses, but listen, he said, we're going to be dressed in fine linen that's white and clean. But the one whose robe looks like it's dipped in blood, John said, he, listen, he treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty, straight out of Revelation. So he'll be the one who treads the winepress for us. Do you understand that it will be his robe that's dipped in blood, stained red, from treading the winepress. His robe is stained so that our robe can be white and clean. He is in the winepress. And that's what it means that He redeems your life from the pit, from the wine press, because He goes into the wine press. And when you're in the pit, He will reveal His peace to you because peace is not about where you are or the absence of problems. Peace is the presence of a person called the Prince of Peace. He will tread the winepress of God's wrath for you and He will redeem you from the pit. Isn't that wonderful? And He has redeemed us to come out of the winepress and to be victorious in battle. Would you stand with me? Hallelujah. I just felt like the Lord laid this on my heart for someone and, and... Maybe you feel you can relate to Gideon. And you're just, you feel like you're down in a pit in this winepress and that you feel abandoned. And I want you to see the Lord waiting on you this morning. He waits for you. He'll go down in that wine press for you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I thank you for your word. And I pray again that it will not return void pray for those who hear this message. I pray that you'll speak into their heart by your spirit and just illuminate your word to them and speak to them in their need of what they're going through. There are people who are struggling, people who are hungry and they're, they're just desperate. They feel like they've been abandoned. And I pray that they will become aware of your presence. And I pray that they will become aware that you are a God who waits when we're struggling just to believe, struggling just to keep up, you are a God who comes to us and waits on us to bring our sacrifice. And I thank you, Lord, that you will tread the winepress and that your robe will be dipped in blood so that my robe and our robes can be white. I thank you for what you do in our lives we give you praise and honor and glory it is in jesus name that we pray and everybody said amen